Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds on KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochileo. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I'm your host, Gary Cacciolillo. Before we get started, I'd like to thank all my listeners for checking in and also thank the contributors to my show who are executive producer Candace Anderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, senior editor Amanda Steele, author of Ghosts of Me, binaural production engineer, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great, and monthly co-host Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. And if you're interested in becoming a contributor to this podcast, go to everythingimaginable2020.com. And there's a whole bunch of information there on how you can contribute to the show. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is Craig Lewis. He has written a book called The Guide of Surviving the Impossible. And I have a picture of it here with a motorhead mug full of coffee next to it. (laughs) Thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me. It's real awesome to connect with you today. Yeah. So, so what inspired you, man, to go down this path? I mean, it sounds like you had some trauma and you found a way to navigate it and now you are sharing it with others. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I would say that, uh, I'm finding the way to navigate it. (laughs) I think it's uh, very fair to say that I'm just on that journey, which is ongoing. And the book that you're speaking of in this path that I've found myself on wasn't a choice as much as it was that I found myself without any other options other than to either live or the opposite. So because I chose to live, I had to find a way. And because I had to find a way, it required me to do whatever I had to do. And I did my very best to do things that aligned with my values and the things I believe in to be able to get to this moment in time that we are now living in. Mm-hmm. And uh, the book is my story uh, in a workbook form so that the people reading it both learn about me and what I went through and then how I learned how to maybe figure some things out, but also it's able for, it, it, it allows them to participate in taking those lessons and perhaps applying them to their own lives and figuring out some stuff as part of, of my healing journey, that's the book. Mm-hmm. So they can be part of that and then take that with them. And I think it's working out. So yeah, I'm pretty psyched about all this stuff going on today. <laughs> that is awesome. Um, yeah. So so how did it all happen? Like, like, where did it all begin? Well, I'm attempting to be careful about how much I talk about certain things because I know the toxicity of those topics. And so I'm going to do my very best to uh, like nail it down, like, I guess, hard and fast, Mm -hmm. but concretely. And then we really focus on like the lessons learned and all the good stuff. Right. Because I'm trying to make a transition in my life to, to, to make sure I go forward. So I recognize how necessary the story is. Uh, and mm-hmm. I built this life from that story, but I'm making this shift. So thanks for working with me on that. Yeah. All right, I'm 47 years old. Uh, well, I, I, depending on where you live in the world, I'm 47 because here they say I'm 47 turning 48. 
Uh, but in the United States, it's then a 46 turning 47. So I'm returning 47 here on May 24th. I'm from the east coast of the United States, the state of Massachusetts. And uh, I'm happy to be here in Mexico. I'll tell you that much. I feel free to be me here in a way that I never was able to back home. Uh-huh. And so in a nutshell, what is my story? Like, how did this all happen? Well, I wasn't always so clear and awake and alive. And what I mean is that when I was a kid, my parents did some very evil things. And ultimately, they had me drugged for all sorts of conditions I didn't have. And they did so with um, in a nefarious way. And they employed illicit methods to really fuck up their kid because he was talking about what was going on at home and they had the money to do that. Mm-hmm. Back in the eighties, it was easy to uh, label your kid a, a sick person, give him some pills. And so despite the reality and the, the awareness that many people had that I was truly being victimized, I was truly being harmed. Uh, the system buckled under the weight of the power of my family and the money and the threats and the insanity of, of what happens when you have family members who are very deeply narcissistic and how they frighten people away and make people who would usually not be so unreasonable be unreasonable and so i grew up in these environments and my parents were exceptionally good at manipulation and the use of money <laughs> to get things done and they had me diagnosed and locked away so i was locked away from my the entirety my adolescence and drugged and horrible things happened horrible things and ultimately by the time i was 18 and a half i was let loose more or less i mean once i was 18 i realized i could just walk i walked mm-hmm. and uh, that began a whole new life of chaos so i spent you know my entire end of my teens and my 20s and my 30s doing punk rock stuff trying to get my act together trying to do you know take care of myself trying to live the whole entire time drugged drug to the gills like a fish with dozens over the course of the years, dozens of these powerful antipsychotic drugs uh-huh. for nothing, like for nothing, for nothing, for, for like non-existent reasons that had to do with me. And, uh, you know, that was my life. I was a walking zombie. I was a, crazy person uh-huh. not in necessarily a good way because i'm definitely a good, good crazy person now but um ultimately you know i was always sick didn't know that it was the drugs that they were giving me the medication mm-hmm. they were giving me for my alleged uh, conditions right that they changed every few years i didn't know that it was the drugs that were making me sick and i didn't know that there were people who knew about it People who knew that like the whole time I was being victimized for, for decades. Uh-huh. And so throughout the course of the 2000s and always trying to find my way and always trying to make things better, ultimately I got myself a therapist and started doing some work. And uh, over the course of time, I, I, became, uh, I became trained as a mental health worker because I wanted to give back. So I started working as a mental health worker who had lived experience who's open about the fact that they have lived experience. Mm-hmm. 
better for me is better for the people I'm working with. And uh, I wrote a book during that process unintentionally uh, as part of my internship project. And then I volunteered offering peer support groups for people who had challenges like me of all sorts. And uh, ultimately I uh, published that book on a, in a, on a self-publishing platform and it became successful. The, I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> like punk kid, the kid like, like keep his room clean as an adult, you know? Anyways, by the time it was 2015, I had already obtained all my, uh, my uh, medical documentation from the state, which was one of my employers, the Department of Mental Health. They had my medical documents from when I was a kid while I was employed by them. Mm -hmm. While I was vetted to train their staff, to train mental health workers officially, like officially vetted by them. So their, their employees would receive like uh, continuing education units that are required for licensing. And I was officially vetted to train them, get my hands on my documents because it was easier to get because I worked there. I went through the process. And then those documents, it says they, they knew the whole time that I was being abused since I was a kid, that the drugs were unnecessary, that I didn't have these conditions. It shows like it documented like how it got shut down, like who was threatened, like where the threats came from, oh, what wow. my parents were doing, all this maddening stuff. And so they didn't know they were giving me documents. I mean, they were my employer, you know, like who knew? The whole entire time I was working in mental health in Massachusetts, and for the two years I worked in that building in particular, my in that building were my documents from my childhood that said the whole time I was being abused. Like while I was working there, I was being <laughs> abused and they like they had the documents to prove it, but no one knew because they didn't think to look through them when they gave them to me, right? Mm -hmm. So because right, they're just a mental health worker getting their documents. Anyways, by the time it was 2015, um, I got all psychiatric diagnoses removed from my medical file because we proved from the start that they were fake. Wow. They, they, my parents literally, in reality, we have proof of it, uh, threatened a psychiatrist to change my medical records. And he did. Not only that, this guy was taken to the United States Supreme Court, like 79, 81, 80, 81, as part, of, he was a defendant in a class action lawsuit about regarding specifically the abuse of psychiatric patients in Boston. I'm not gonna like go out on such a limb here and say that my father, the corporate lawyer who knows stuff and their desire to have me shut up and the fact that my documents show that I've been put into a place specifically that they fought and threatened lawsuits to put me in a place for kids from the city, right? That were much rougher than this like nice Jewish kids from the suburbs. And that's where they got me. And that's where that psychiatrist was. I'm not alleging that I can prove this point here, that this is intentional, but sure as fuck, man, they got me. They got me good. So by the time it was 2015, I had all these diagnoses removed. The psychiatrist I had switched to after all these years said, you don't have these conditions. If you don't stop taking these drugs, you're not gonna ever have a chance. Because I know it's freaking absurd. Nobody wants to hear that. Everyone wants to hear mental health. Get help. Ask for help. Go. go you're feeling depressed. Go see a doctor. Call the hotline. Like take care of yourself. Mental health. I'm like, yeah. 
what's up? Like, my story is like not acceptable. It's like unacceptable for the status quo. Mm -hmm. Anyways, come 2015, get off the drugs. Announce to the world, I'm off the drugs. <laughs> they removed the diagnoses. And you know, as you can imagine, or you, I should have imagined, shit was going to go haywire. And it did. Of course it did. I was processing out yeah. 28 years of 40 different kinds of uh, neurotoxins. I mean, I did a calculation, a rough calculation, that was like maybe 80,000 pills went down my throat. Wow. So that's, pro that's a, probably a fair estimation, more, more or less, give or take 10,000. It's kind of sounds crazy, right? Give or take 10,000. <laughs> right. And uh, yeah, I collapsed. I, I, I was working as a mental health worker. Crazy shit happened. I witnessed a coworker being sexually inappropriate on the job with clients. The whole thing went crazy. I was targeted. I ended up losing my business. I lost my mind, lost my job, lost my freaking everything, my house, my cat, my everything. By the time it was 2018, I had no hope and I uh, lost my home as I just stated and I hopped on a plane one way, flew to Paris, France, took my book with me. I had it already translated into a few languages couldn't get a job. People didn't want me. People didn't want me in the United States. They didn't want to, they didn't want to work with me because I filed a report about a sexual abuser as I was required to by law. I was talking about the fact that all these years I've been taking drugs and working in this community and all of a sudden I'm no longer mentally ill, right? All of a sudden, like this is crazy stuff. How am I supposed to live in a place where all this stuff's happening where there are people who are I don't know if you understand what I'm saying here, but like a big cluster fucking craziness at the same time. You know, get off these pills for the first time. My life, my brain like fizzles out. Mm -hmm. People, people don't know how to deal with me. I don't know how to deal with emotions. Sexuality is crazy. Testosterone. For the first time, I'm getting bitten by mosquitoes. It's crazy. I'm dealing with stuff at this job. After 10 years of working in mental health care, I am required to file reports or if I see or I suspect abuse of, of a marginalized person, a vulnerable person, it's required by law. File these reports not realizing that the world doesn't want me back home. They don't want someone like me with a story like mine. And right. I was crushed. I got taken out. Lost my job. Lost my home. Lost my everything. Ultimately, like I took the remnants of my life off in this plane to Paris, France. Started a whole new life in Europe. Not knowing what I was going to do or where I was going to go. or All I had was my book translated to a couple languages besides English, the workbook that I spoke of already. And I did some work in Paris and I worked in the Brussels. I was getting paid a little bit of money to do what I, I was good at. Ultimately, I spent a year and a half traveling around Europe, more or less, all over the place. Ultimately, I ended up back in uh, the United States knowing I had nowhere to go, mm -hmm. knowing I had no prospects for work, knowing no one to really deal with me, knowing I was like screwed financially, credit ruined, all the whole thing. So Mexico would look good to me. So uh, it was easy to live here, easy to get a place, easy to do all these things, easy to be legal. So I moved here. I got a home. I rent. It's gorgeous. It's safe for me. It was very hard. I mean, I arrived here with nothing. I had to try to learn a new language. I arrived here with like 
shock, like psych- psychological shock after my life collapsing, <laughs> like yeah. all those crazy stuff. And here we are. I mean, I have cats I take care of. I have uh, plants like that I grow on my terrace. Like, my, a rose just got uh, blossomed. That's my life now. It's like that's really my story. Like that's where I'm at. Like that's like that's what's up. That's wow. yeah. I'm alive. I survived the impossible. I know. I know that's the case. You know, I, 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 you know, growing up where I grew up in Princeton, I, I, I've also seen parents sort of discard their children, send them to psychiatrists, have them medicated, diagnosed, and, and sort of just left that way. And then, you know, I, I don't know. It, it was just, it's such a bad thing to see. And and I think it was sort of I wouldn't say uh, maybe I would I would say it was probably kind of common during you know the eighties you know with, with wealthy families that would have maybe a kid that was troublesome to try to you know take him out of the picture sort of in a in a weird way or or at least numb them out so they don't have to deal with it. You know, I've seen it before. I don't believe you're alone with this. Have you heard other people with similar stories? Yes. Yes. I have met many people with similar stories. And I know that uh, this is a, uh, there's not a video component to the Everything Imaginable podcast, but Gary, you can attest to uh, when you, we're looking at each other right now, when you, when you said, problematic something like this i smiled like cheek to cheek because i am i I am a problematic child Mm -hmm. absolutely i'm like smart smart i was a smart kid who was intellectual and like creative and like like interested and like willing and and all these passionate things so yeah even though it all happened even though i got like slaughtered by them Uh i'm still that passionate that problem kid, I really am. I'm that problem child for everybody. If you try to like stomp down on like my happiness and like my creativity, just don't. Like it's not a smart thing to do. Yeah, um, I met a lot of people like that. Hmm. I also like, like even my own personal experience. For me, my I was really bad in school. Like, I was uncontrollable. So they would, la- they labeled me, I guess, back then they would just called me like a retard. <laughs> you know, they put me in a retard class on a short bus. And then I remember one day the psychiatrist coming to my parents' house and he sat me down and the psychiatrist like, well, he's out of control. He's never going to be okay. We want to put him on all these medications. And I was fortunate. My mom said, no way. No way are you doing that. <laughs> there, 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 there is nothing. There's nothing wrong with my son. He's just doing his thing, and we are not going to give him medication, you know. And so I was really fortunate. But, but it was the institution of the school system that said, you know what, this kid's disruptive in class, so we're just going to throw him in there, say he's stupid, and give him drugs. Well, you are fortunate that you had a mother like that. And uh, I wish I had a mother like that yeah. as well. 
And the story you just told is the story of countless people in, in our, our generation. And uh, a lot of those people aren't here with us today. Mm -hmm. That's that's fact. And a lot of us are, are, are not doing well. I'm doing pretty well, I mean, considering. <laughs> and I know that. And that's good. And you are as well. I mean, no matter how it went down, like here we are today. I mean, that's what matters. Yeah. What matters is what we do right now. Um, I have been... I mean, like it's a, I don't, like it's a double-edged sword. Is I guess the best way to say that right now, because all that stuff happened, and it sucks. It's hurtful. Like how could you do that to a human being? For so many years. <laughs> At the same time, despite it all, how many people like do you know or do I know that that uh like spent two weeks in Ukraine? Like, like speaking about surviving trauma mm -hmm. and, and like, like living like in the face of all this darkness, like, it's, you know, it's like a crazy thing to say that I spent two weeks in Ukraine doing that, like right. speaking about my experiences and hanging out. Like I went to Bulgaria and I did the same thing. I went to Istanbul, Turkey, and I did the same thing. <laughs> I lived in Kosovo for two weeks did the same thing. I mean, I've been to more countries than most people that I know because of all the, the things that happened to me because I was forced out of my life. I mean, yeah. I was, I was, my life was not what it wasn't in my control, but the way, the way it all, all was going down. People didn't want me, man. They didn't want me to be around my, my reality, the existence of like, I'm smiling because like, it's, it's almost like my 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 happiness and my existence mm -hmm. is a it's an affront to, to to people who need to believe in things that that allow control to exist when in fact that's what's making them so sick. So I think it's many Americans so sick right now. Right. These crazy beliefs of uh, of needing control and the control doesn't really exist unless you believe in it. If you don't believe in it, it's not real. <laughs> Yeah. Someone like me has no need for authorities because I'll treat you exactly the same, no matter who you are, as a person. Yeah. Like you don't have some sort of imaginable, like, 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 imaginable, like, power. You don't. Deep down, you don't. You can use power, but you don't actually have it. And I, because of that, I still believe in humanity because, like, most humans do have a human inside them, somewhere deep inside. That's part of my thing is like living in this world and finding out who those humans are. Yeah. That makes any sense at all. So so after you go through the process of, of realizing, you know, whatever has happened to a person, what type of um questions or what type of issue like how what is the path out? Like I know that your book ask the reader a lot of questions. What are some of those important questions and how should a person look within themselves to answer some of those deep questions? Because sometimes, like, I know even for me, it, you know, looking at myself is not my favorite pastime. Not, not, not for me either and not for really anybody. How, how unpleasant. Here, here's the thing. 
and I know yeah, I know that you're gonna know exactly what I'm talking about because everyone who hears me say this <clears throat> is gonna know exactly what I'm talking about. All of us do things <laughs> when we're completely alone that no one else knows about. <laughs> that 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 we would never want anyone else to know because it's fucking gross or it's like whatever it is, like because we're all these weird like human creatures. Weird people, weird creatures that do weird stuff. But we don't want anyone to know that we're so fucked up. So because that's true, and you know it's true. Everyone listening knows it's true. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Unfortunately. It, it, <laughs> it, it, it means that that deep down inside you are conscious and uh, that if there's something about your life that you don't like, if there's something about how you interact with other people that that doesn't that results in things not working out, it's just something you want to improve that because you already know that like why do things keep going bad in my relationships? Why do I keep having this happen? Well, you have a choice. You can like continue to like not deal with it and, and attempt to make adjustments through different methods, right? And that's great. Some people benefit from different things. But also, there's the opportunity if you choose to engage with it to just get the fucking work done. Like, what are we wasting our time for? Like, life is happening now. Mm -hmm. Who has any time to, to screw around when it comes to making a better life? And because I'm certain that most, this is such an asshole, it's an American asshole. When I say things like, we speak in absolutes from North America. I say things like, I'm certain that everyone knows exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> everyone agrees with me 100%, right? But you know what I mean? Like, I'm certain that most people, that most people get that, that this is true. Yeah. That, that when we stop and think about it, what the fuck are we doing? Like, why don't we make ourselves better? If there's something that we don't like, who, like deep down, who knows better about what's going on with you? someone else or you and it's great that we have therapists and psychologists and also the people of all sorts but also their job in part is to help you figure this out and that word job is has multiple meanings depending on who you are and what, what context you're speaking in yeah. for some people a job is a job a job but for you it's a job because it's you so that's my my big circular answer to your question. Hmm. So, did you follow we, me? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, I have to acknowledge. Hmm. Bad masturbation habits, I guess. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm not. I'm not. I, 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 I wasn't putting anyone. I know. <laughs> I I do appreciate uh, that you are who you are because uh, sometimes sometimes it's really just the most the most, one of the best ways to be is just to be be you. So yeah, we all have this this stuff. Oh yeah. <laughs> just remember, one person's bad. It's another person's amazing. So, you know, I mean, 
you might be the king of this, right? You might be the king for some people. That's the way. <laughs> yeah, it's like they just don't know what you just don't know it. Like you might, you know, it's like so. Yeah, you know what's funny? Like, like some of the things I, I used to really come down on myself about and feel guilty about and stuff is is now stuff that. I will laugh about when I'm out to dinner with people. I don't give a shit. I put it out there, you know? Because like you said, we're human beings. We're all fucked up. Yeah, we're really fucked up. <laughs> so, Everyone listening so, to this is And so I think one of the first things, of, like for me anyway, to heal is to, to, to look at it, not take it so seriously. And when I reach a point where I can laugh at it, that's when I actually know that I'm really starting to get somewhere. Laughter uh, and like when it's not self, what's it deprecating? Yeah, yeah. Not like, not like, not like we're we're somehow putting ourselves down in some sort of manner. But but when we're like, for example, um, I had uh, I've had many incidents incidences of public insanity, and uh, <clears throat> on a few occasions, um, I maybe broadcasted, you know, maybe on Facebook Live <laughs> or some crazy because it's. You know, that's what I did. That's part of my process. But um, it's kind of hard to live that shit down when it, you're like in Paris airport and like you're dealing with the young, young, you lose your shoes and someone's yelling at you and crazy shit's happening. You have no money. You don't know what's going on. And they don't like that there. And I had a 24 hour episode of madness between Paris and Copenhagen. Ending with me getting on the plane, but after I was on the plane, the pilot coming to say to me, we heard there's some trouble, and uh, I want to let you know right now, if we have to stop this plane somewhere, you're going to be held responsible. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, as, as it, it worked out, and I landed, and it was fine. But, um, yeah, so that's, like, what what what's happened to me uh, the past few years, of me trying to figure out how to be. And so... How am I supposed to deal with all that? You know, that's 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 like, that's intense. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I have to forgive myself because it's crazy. I can't change the fact that that should happen. I mean, I might as well laugh, laugh about it. I mean, it wasn't funny, but there are funny parts of it, and like I'm trying to focus on all the funny parts. Mm-hmm. Like, for example. For example, this crazy thing happened, right? I'm in the airport in Copenhagen with no shoes and no money, eating out of trash barrels. I'm a punk kid. I mean, it was not fun to want to do, but you do what you have to do. There was some crazy shit happening. And uh, everyone there was white. It's Copenhagen in the airport. But there was one guy who was black with dreadlocks wearing a some sort of metal shirt. Now, I had no money, but I had something else. And uh, I walked up to this guy and I said, hey, um, I know it looks fucked up because you're, you're the only black person here in the entire airport and everyone else is white and I'm walking up to you and saying this, but dude, I'm a bit destitute. I have no money, I have a bunch of hash. Can we make an exchange so I can, like, get food? <laughs> he says, ah, 
I have all the hacks I need, but I'm going to take you out to eat right now. And so I ate and I had like a three hour conversation with this guy. And so that right there is how I, how I can transcend and laugh at mm-hmm. the fact that this crazy shit happened that for most people would doom them in like a psychic way because how are you supposed to get over that? Now, here's the funny part about the ending of that. He took me out to eat. We got hot dogs. I have a photo of me holding the hot dog. It's a weird-looking hot dog. It curls. But when I got it, the woman asked me, do you want it cooked or grilled? And I was like, oh, my God. What kind of question is that? What does that even mean? I know for all the people out there who are listening, if you're ever presented with a question when you're offered a hot dog, and you're asked if it's if you want it cooked or grilled. I don't know what you're going to choose, but just so you know, both of those options are them cooked, just different. They just don't use the <laughs> right words that we're used to. Like cooked or not cooked. Well, yeah, it worked out. <laughs> thanks, thanks, thanks for letting me tell you a crazy story that <laughs> I survived. You know, it's funny. It is. So I I, I think. How, how, do you do you give um, I don't know the universe some credit for what happens? Like sometimes when you're in need, the universe will just provide. Uh, yeah, I believe in every crazy possible thing because who am I to say that it's not real? So if someone believes in something crazy, that's crazy. They're a lunatic. Oh, maybe it's true. So yes, the universe is absolutely. Um, Thank you, universe, for being here. I'm not trying to be a jackass. Thank you for being, um, thank you for loving me. But yeah, absolutely, uh, I feel really good about that. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's a legitimate thing that this happens, and I hope more people out there in the world can uh, find their true connection to the universe, to the earth, to the to the true reason why that we are alive, and yeah. to, to to become who we were born to be, no matter what happened throughout our experience. That we still have that that innate gift from birth. Yeah. The inborn inborn gift that you can still become whoever you were born to be, no matter what happens, no matter what you did, no matter what, what anyone else did, no matter what, you still can do it. I think that's the most, one of the most powerful things that we human beings have within ourselves is to choose to do that. Mm-hmm. I want to help people figure out that that, that can happen because I'm the, the fucking living proof. For real, I know it. <laughs> You know, I, I had a similar incident happen to me, like what you had. I was living somewhere and I was out of money and I, I didn't have any food. And I was at home, you know, and I was just in my head, you know, just feeling miserable because I didn't have anything. And I was like, ah, screw it. I was going to go out and mow my yard. So I went out and I cut my grass. And my neighbor was like, the next yard, she was an old lady next door. So I cut her, her front yard too. And then when I finished, it came up front. She came out of her house and gave me like um, a hoagie and like three packs of cigarettes. <laughs> you know, uh, two weeks ago, oh yeah, about two weeks ago, I was walking from the bus. I live, I live in a mountain town, so we had to walk maybe forty minutes from the bus stop back to my house. And uh, it was kind of it was like a Saturday night, so there was lots of people around, and I was walking, and I'm. Because of my experience of like being homeless and like not having my needs met, like you're describing, mm-hmm. I, I have this this like endless, like I guess I just train myself to look at the ground and scan for money. Because I I swear, I mean, 
there were years where I probably made 60 bucks, made like looking for money on the ground because I was so trained to do so. I know it sounds crazy, but that's like yeah. how you learn how to do it when you have to, right? And I, so I'm walking and I see something on the ground and I meet my, my eyes immediately registered up on it. And I looked at it again. I looked at it again. Then I nudged it with my foot and it was a wallet. And then there was a car right there parked. And there were people like kind of frantic inside the car. And I picked it up and I said, and they said, like whatever they said in Spanish, oh my God, oh my God, thank you so much. Thank you so much. <laughs> right. And um, then today, right, I went to the bank because I was helping somebody with something, right? And I had to transfer some money to their account. And I was a little distracted and I dropped, well, what was two 500 peso bills, which is about 50 bucks. I dropped it and I, I, mean, I wouldn't have realized for a minute because I was doing something else. And someone behind me picked them up and handed them to me. So I feel good that, that you have to do things a certain way. Uh, you know, that night that I found that wallet, I swear, I, I, there must have been more money in that wallet than, than I, I, I had to look into it. But mm -hmm. I bet there was more money in there than I, than I had. And it would have made my life easier. But why would I ever do that without trying to do the right thing first? And uh, yeah, so maybe today I was just giving that gift back. And that happens, that happens when you do things that are for the right reasons. Then you, you'll, get, you'll get taken care of. You have to believe in that. It will so, happen. So, so you kind of believe in karma. Maybe, maybe so. I mean, I don't want to give it one word or another, but I do know that if I if I put my actions into the world in a certain way, then then I'm going to have a, a return on that. It's it's almost like a it, 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 it it's how the universe works. Mm -hmm. You have to you have to you have to like do certain things to to, to be to be connected and to to to, to believe and to be, have your your journey in life be like true and that means if you're a fucked up person like i am like everyone is that you're gonna do fucked up things you're gonna be a human being and and it's on whose scale of fucked up right so we can be okay with ourselves a lot more than society says that that uh we need to be uh because we have the power to make our own decisions based on what we believe is just and if you're a, a decent human being you can decide what's right and wrong because you already know what's right and wrong so if you already know what's right and wrong you don't need to let, let the authoritative system or some sort of like rules that are put in place to tell us what's right we already know what's right and wrong mm -hmm. so when you and, and the universe knows what's right and wrong so just do what you know is right when you can and just keep doing that and it could, it'll, it'll take you where you need to go interesting um that's really like what you went through and to get to where you are now in such a positive state of mind and and, and being able to do the right thing um how how do you feel now like like have you forgiven the pe your parents and the people that harmed you and, and has that played a role in you getting well forgiveness is uh a weird little cornerstone of my recovery journey, for sure. And um, I'm going through a bit of a transition right now where um, I'm starting to feel the anger, like the justified anger. I've already done the forgiveness for me, right? I did it for me, but uh, it's uh, 
it's a process of, mm-hmm. of, 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 of healing. And, uh, you know, what was yesterday? Was yesterday Mother's Day or was it yeah. Saturday? I yesterday. don't know. I don't know. But, um, I, um, I posted, I shared a poem online that's in my new book, uh, The Craig Lewis Guide to Survive the Impossible, which is uh, about forgiveness. And would you like to hear it? Yeah, I'd love to. All right, let me get it ready for us right here. One moment, please. Here we go. It's called A Poem of Forgiveness and Healing for and about my mama. Dear mama, I forgive you for your obsession in harming your child. I forgive you because I know you are a trauma survivor yourself. I forgive you because I know your mother abused you. I forgive you because you were blamed for your reactions to how you were treated. I forgive you for being so hurt and damaged that you did not learn how to love. I forgive you for turning that damage on your firstborn son. I forgive you for being scared that your son was brilliant, creative, smart, and loving, and that he innocently exposed what was happening behind closed doors. I forgive you for threatening a psychiatrist with a lawsuit If he didn't give me a diagnosis of schizophrenia and drug me, I forgive you because you did this to protect yourself. I forgive you for contributing to me being sexually abused. I forgive you because I remember every humiliating detail. I forgive you because I know that deep down inside, you are tortured by the things that happened to you before you gave birth to me. I forgive you for going out of your way to convince anyone and everyone that I was a problem. I forgive you for being incredibly successful at this. Because it caused so much more damage than any child should ever be subjected to. I forgive you for threatening our family members into slandering me. Oh my goodness, I hit an error in my words, pardon me. I forgive you for threatening our family members into abandoning me to protect your fragile reality. I forgive you for your personal involvement in interfering in my relationships with women. I forgive you for abandoning me, abandoning me in 2016 when I trusted you for the last time. I forgive you for threatening me with an ultimatum that if I didn't stop talking about what happened to me as a child in your home that I would no longer have a family. I forgive you for seeing that threat through and making it a reality. I forgive you because I refuse to allow what happened to you to continue to harm me. I forgive you because the cycle of abuse ends here and now with me. I forgive you because you cannot forgive yourself. I forgive you because you turned down my offer of unconditional reconciliation and public forgiveness simply so I can know what it felt like a mother and be loved. I forgive you because all I wanted was to have my mother tell the world that I was a good man, smart, dignified, and honorable man, and you weren't capable of doing this. I forgive you because you'll be gone soon. I forgive myself because I'm not sure what, when that happens, if my tears will be of sadness or of relief. For anyone reading this, 
We ask you to please not allow my mother's abusiveness to be in vain. Sometimes we need to be destroyed to be properly built. My mother nearly destroyed me, and here I am. I share with the whole world the power of my love, the power of my joy, the power of my gratitude, the power of my forgiveness, and the power of my honor. I choose to be happy as an act of defiance and love. I'm the author of my life, and you are the author of your life. Believe in miracles, because the words you just read are written by one. Wow. That says a lot, man. That's, That's what's up. And <laughs> if uh, I realize that I have power of the word and of communication and that if I do things in a certain way, people will listen. And then if people are listening, then I can get the supports I need to do my healing, to be more more effective at, 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 at becoming the better person that I'm deserving to be, to become the better person I was born to be. No matter what happened, I can also connect with other people who will work with me, people who will see my value, who will hear my story and say, let's do something. Let's, 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 let's help this happen. Let's help these ideas of real radical human power transformation spread to other people's lives. Let's help other people. How do we make this happen? Well, here we are having a conversation. <laughs> so what do you think is harder, forgiving other people or forgiving yourself? I really don't know what the difference is. <laughs> it's the same thing, right? In a way, because, I, I guess, because... Um, yes, because... You know, sometimes what I, I know for me, sometimes what I see in other people is what's inside of me. So it, it's sort of like this two-way street kind of deal where I have to look at both. Well, yeah, because there's always more than one thing happening because we're just a person, right? I mean, at the end of the day, what are you going to do with it? Mm -hmm. So whether you're wrong or whether someone else is wrong, you're likely both wrong in some way because, but what is wrong? Like what is, I mean, these are all like things to think about. Like, what does it mean to be wrong? And if you are wrong, what does that mean? So it does take two people to, to have challenges with each other. So I think, I think it's probably fair to say that when these things happen, there's always likely something on both ends that contributes to a communication breakdown. No matter what the details are, we are not mostly, most of us are not trained in effective communication skills. And perhaps if we all were, we'd have a much better experience, but we're not. So we're all more or less guilty of contributing to the conflicts that we have, whether one's right and one's wrong. We all have a part in it, right. even if it's innocent. And so if that's true, and I believe it, it is, then that means when I, when I forgive myself for my part of it, I also can forgive that person because there's no way that if I'm interacting with somebody in whatever way, that I'm not in some way contributing to something. No matter how, I mean, there are exceptions to all rules, you know, but it's not a rule in the first place that I don't believe in rules. So just feel me on that. And that's, uh, hmm. that's forgiveness. Um. When 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 you give your talks and and are, are working with people, 
what is the main thing that you're trying to what what is the main message you're trying to convey I used to work as a mental health worker and so life was very different I spend a lot of my time when I can travel and do things uh, training mental health workers and people like them and and uh, the work that I've created um, uh, a healing modality which is basically includes my story but also like worksheets and all sorts of like introspective work that people can then take to their communities and help other people with um, so since I've not been doing much of that, mostly because everything's been shut down, I couldn't fly anywhere. Um, I really am more just doing this and having mm -hmm. communication with people like yourself um, and trying to do some community stuff when I'm able to, and I'm working on more of that right now. So when I talk to people most currently, it's not so much about um, the training aspect of it, because it's been a crazy year. And like, I don't know about you, but I went off the deep end a few times. And so uh, <laughs> that's reality. And um. Really, I just want to speak about truth and help people find their truth and help people find their power and help people feel secure in a world where where truth has been uh, in all sorts of ways um, manipulated and distorted and power has been in all sorts of ways manipulated and distorted and help people find their inner power with which to to transcend in a world of, of, of the most... Um, I guess uh, obvious yet hidden oppression that we have experienced as a collective people mm. in a very long time. Uh, and that's really hard for people back home to uh, cope with. Here it's easier for me because I'm not around it, but I know that's really the pressure you all have back home. And uh, I want to help people get through that. But also at the same time, I really don't have much, much hope for uh, how things are there right now. And, uh, the people really need a wake-up call that's, I don't think it happened yet, about that it's their ego and their addiction to convenience and and, and comfort that, that has really left them ill-prepared to deal with crises. And yeah. I think they're going to continue to pay a price until they realize that money and stuff and objects and, like, positions does not buy you happiness and peace and health. And I'm much better off being in places where when shit goes goes awry, you just have to find a way. It's a real blessing, believe me. I, I invite everyone to come and experience it for themselves. It's a much better way to be. So if money, position, and power are not the way to happiness, what is? When I open up my door at the end of our discussion, likely there's going to be uh, one or, or two cats out there waiting to come in. And yes, they like to eat the food because I provide food for them. That's, you all know cats like food. <laughs> but but also they like me and they trust me and they bring a lot of joy to my life because I can care for them. You know, mm -hmm. they're cats in the street. You know, I can take care of them. One of them, I had a, a veterinarian come. It was a whole process. It was crazy. I had to have a house visit. I had to trap him and capture him and the whole thing. And uh, yeah, and after I took care of this cat, and uh, he's, I mean, he showed up as a malnourished kitten, and he's been almost two years with me, right? A year and a half with me. He lives outside, but he comes in every day, and like, I had to trap him to do like his veterinarian came and gave him an injection. He hated the whole thing, like a wild animal. But after that, he started hanging out all the time. So when I opened my door, 
Like that's happiness. I mean, I get to, I, I got to, I got to help relieve the pain and suffering of an animal. Yeah. No one else was going to do that. Like, no, no one else was going to take that responsibility. And I, and I, I, I went through so much grieving because the first time I tried to trap him, uh, he, he broke out of the cage. I said, he's a beast. He's a beast. And uh, he, he disappeared for three days. And I knew his eyes, he had this eye infection and his eyes were swelling up. They were all crispy and like bloody and Three days passed and he came back. I had everything ready. The, the veterinarian on call I had the money ready, everything ready to go. And, and he showed up and uh, didn't got the job done. And that, I call him a kid. Mm-hmm. That that kid right there, he knew. I, I did that. I did, I did right by that cat. And that's my joy right there because now every day, like every day he's here <laughs> and, he, and he loves me. And I needed that so much. There's another cat as well. There's two cats. Yeah. <laughs> like, like that's that's happiness, right? I mean, no, I don't I don't even know what to confirm that for me. Yeah. That's ha- that is happiness. That is that's happiness because what what is like what is more I mean, who wanna say this, but it just like generally speaking, one of the happiest things a person can do, perhaps is to uh, provide a better life for uh, an animal in need. Mm-hmm. So if that's what I get to do, I gotta, that's what I'm going to do when I finish this call. I think that's pretty great. That's happiness for me. I understand um, that. Yeah. I, I, anyone I, else? Yeah. I have a, a dog who, um, well, we, we, we got him from a, a breeder, but he was like really mistreated. And, um, and you know, this dog cost me like we spent over like almost twenty five hundred hours on this dog because he had heartworms and all kinds of of bad stuff. And and to top it all off, he's mean. Like I, every time I walk past him, he runs out and he bites my leg. <laughs> but you know, he's a good dog. <laughs> Like, I wouldn't expect deep, anything deep less down, from him. <laughs> yeah, right. Like deep down, like he knows that you saved his life, you know. Yeah. yeah he's a good deep, guy. Deep down. Yeah, I mean, if he didn't like you, he wouldn't be there, right? You have the fuck out of here. Uh, <laughs> I might give you a bite, but I'm so happy I'm here because I'm not gonna bite you so hard that you make me get rid of me. So that's just what's up. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I love you. <laughs> Thank yeah. you very much. It's the best I can do. I know he loves me, but, but that's really man. relevant. But yeah, yeah I have, I have, I have three well. three animals that are all rescues, so that's pretty cool. So you know that you know about love, like that's yeah. It's like when you have a child, right, or or an animal who acts a certain way. It's not that they don't love you. It's, it's that maybe they were hurt in such a way that it's hard for them to do certain things. What's the mm-hmm. difference between the human being? Like, like we have, I always wondered why, why do we have uh well, of course we have animal, animal rescues, right? Why don't we have human rescues? I'm, I just think it's crazy that we don't have human rescues. Like we don't like find an animal on the street and then take, like take it for a, 
a psychiatric evaluation. No, you take it to a place and you try to help it. Mm -hmm. Give it some food. Like, if you find an animal on the street that's acting violent or crazy like that, you don't necessarily just you know, try to help it. Maybe there's a reason. Maybe he had rabies. Maybe he's maybe there's a, a nail in his foot. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's starving. Like you know, why would you just treat it like it's crazy? Maybe the, maybe you know, not gonna act like that. Then I doesn't have a nail in his foot. Why don't we have human rescues? Yeah, that's what I needed. Yeah, there's not I much think. much. I mean. When I lived in New Jersey, we, I mean, we did have, you know, a rescue mission, but the rescue mission was worse than living on the street. And and then there was the Salvation Army too, which was, you know, I guess that was sort of okay. But that was it. That's all the options for an entire state. <laughs> I think there should be an independent network of some sort. Of of like a broad network of 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 individuals who who know about survival, who have who have been through stuff, and and you know to find a way that people who are in need, people like us, you know, people or whatever degree of us, whatever that means, but people who have had experiences that have made them who they are today, and if there's challenge, if they're facing challenges. Or they're struggling in life. Like maybe there's reasons why. Maybe I just wish we could, uh, like, unmedic, like, un take the medical part away from the human, the humanity of these people, and 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 just like, I wish there was a way to work together to provide. All someone needs is their rent paid. They need like all they need to do this. They just need to do that. Why can't we just do that? It's all this yeah. nonsense about. Oh my God. I think a human rescue. Yeah. Maybe what's missing is love. You know? Yeah. Like like with animals, it's easy. We it's like instinct like we don't love humans the same way we love animals. Yeah, we also don't eat humans. It's weird. Yeah, no, or, we don't. Or most of us. Most of us. I, I heard they taste they taste kind of gamey. I'm going to speak for myself here. <laughs> when I say we, I'm, I mean, in this case, me. <laughs> so, so before we wrap this up, man, where can my listeners find you and find your book? Okay, so the website's being built right now for the thousandth time, but I think the thousandth time is the charm. I'm just going to take, say, take a moment and say, dear universe, the thousandth time is the charm. So when this goes live, maybe soon or who knows soon, soon or who knows when, <laughs> hopefully soon enough, the website will be ready to rock. And that, that website is sanity is the full-time job dot org. Sanity is a full-time job dot org. So whether it's ready now or not, mm -hmm. I know that it's not. But soon enough, it will be. So you can go there. And additionally, you can always find my books through the uh, self-publishing distributor that I work with, which is www.lulu, which is L-U-L-U. -L -U, so www.lulu.com slash 
spotlight slash better days recovery press. And there you'll find all my books available. You can also email me at surviving the impossible at gmail.com or punks in recovery, P U N X dot I N dot recovery at gmail.com. And I'd love to hear from you all. Awesome. And I thank you, Gary, for this opportunity to connect with you in such an awesome and down to earth and real way. You got it, man. You're welcome back anytime. And I'll post the links to all that. It denotes this episode so my listeners can check it out. It'll be out in about two weeks. So you got two weeks to get that site up. I think it's going to be ready. We're going to do it. It's going to work. <laughs> I believe it. I believe. I believe. It, Carlos, it, if you're listening, I'm telling you, we've got to get this done. I believe in you, homie. <laughs> Worst case scenario, you just contact me. At least I'll make a front page for you. <laughs> it might not look good, but it'll be something. We're, 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 we're in progress. I think it's going to work out. Thank you. <laughs> right. oh, this is great. All Th- right. Thanks for being on. And hang on one second. I'm going to play the outro. All right. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. Oh yes, I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need, and it's on Amazon. It'll change your life, because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you love what you listen to, don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe.